This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Oh, uh, my mom has a fish. <laughs> you want to come over? Hello, and welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls. Which is a show that I love, but I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week, we watch season three, episode 12 of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, Lorelei Out of Water. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Helpless. This is all right. Better than last week. I think Buffy was really good. Now they know which one you like better. Yeah, it's definitely Buffy. Fast forward to the end, I guess. Yeah, none of this is important. I guess you guys can skip this episode unless you really want to know what happened on Charmed. It's a big one. Actually, I haven't read yet. I have no idea what happened. <laughs> okay. It's a crazy time for us because we're preparing our SNL packets. Yes. Every year we submit sketches to SNL in hopes they will hire us. And... They don't. So hopefully this year will be different. Hopefully this year they read them. It's just like anyone can submit, basically. It's not like public, but it's pretty easy to figure out how. And like, I'm sure they don't read any of them. It's just like an email address they give to people to yeah. make it seem like you can get hired there. But we're still going to stress out a lot for the next week. Yes. About it. Um, so if you are SNL or are friends with someone there, tell them about us. Lord Michaels, if you're listening to this podcast, which I imagine you are. He loves uh, podcasts. Yeah, and Buffy and Gilmore and quick synopsises of Charmed. Mm -hmm. Please hire us. It's hard, though, because it's hard to write, like, funny stuff that's topical during, like, you know, a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. that's. Gen I feel like every time I have to write a topical thing like that, something terrible has just happened. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, the, the biggest story in the news is a bunch of people died. Let's write a funny sketch about it. It's just not possible. SNL packets are never due, like, right after Anthony Weiner, like, texted his dick to some people, you know? I know. He should time that better. Yeah, it's really on him. It's my birthday this week. Yes, it is. Well, not this week, but next week when this comes out, it will be. Right, right. What are you going to give me? Uh, I was thinking about, like, just a kiss on the cheek. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Is that not what you wanted? I, I bought you a car, no, but then I, I gave it back. So like, no, she wants a kiss on the cheek. Yeah, that's fine. I'm just sick of all those mouth kisses, so. Yeah, I hear you. Switch things up. Yeah, cheek kiss. Speaking of sketch shows, we did just watch I Think You Should Leave. I, I love that show. I feel like each season starts a lot stronger than it ends, but it still has so many great sketches. Yeah, we just watched the last two episodes. and I, I don't know that I laughed much during those last two, but the first few episodes... Great. And they're not that long. So even if it wasn't a great episode, it's like, well, we're done. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. But that one with the guy puts a bunch of makeup on is just so funny. You'll see. You'll see. Go watch it. Go watch it. But first, listen to this. This week, we started with Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us about Lorelai Out of Water. Lorelai Out of Water is obviously a play on words, like fish out of water, because Lorelai is going fishing on a date, even though she knows nothing about fishing. Mm -hmm. So she's out of her element. But also, Lane has set up this huge, intricate strategy on how she's going to get her mother to let her go to prom with her secret boyfriend, Dave. And also, Paris and Rory are fighting still. It's a lot happening. At least three storylines and a fourth one with Luke. We'll, we'll get there. So the episode opens with the Gilmore Girls cleaning out their garage because Lane's going to start practicing in the garage with her band. But the garage is just, like, filled, absolutely filled, which is weird because they have cars, which they, I guess, never put in their garage. 
Yeah, they have a big yard. It's true, but like, yeah, okay. I guess if you don't have a garage door opener, it's not necessarily easier to put a car in the garage. I'm just thinking like when it snows, yeah. you know, I realize the snow in Stars Hollow seems very fake and mm-hmm. light and mm-hmm. would never freeze your door shut. But having been from Wisconsin, sometimes you want to keep that uh, out of the snow. Yeah, they say they haven't gone in there for like four years. But when they open it, Roy says there's a box in there that her mom must have put in there two years ago. Yeah, it was supposed to be donations. And I don't really understand this. Roy's like kind of mad at her mom for like not donating it. Part of me is just like, you know, every time you're mad at your mom for not getting rid of a box, you are happy she had it later. So yeah, maybe be fine with it. And then she was because her hugger world was in there. Yeah, her gross hugger world, which might be alive. I don't know. It looked, it looked like it was moving. That was weird. Yeah. And then Lorelai had a funny joke. She's like, maybe the band can just rehearse in the kitchen. We don't use that either. Because they don't cook. So then at Luke's, there's a bunch of construction next door. Dosi is renovating the place that he is leasing from Luke. And of course, it wouldn't be a Dosi scene unless he was being obnoxious. He's like just tearing everything down. He's yelling at the construction workers. They hate him, which is kind of funny. This guy's just constantly like, get away from my saw, Dosi. I love when someone yells at Dosi. It's my favorite part of the show. But Dosi wants Luke to sign this lease. Yeah, he wants him to like go through a lawyer specifically. Yeah. By the way, if it wasn't clear, Dosi is like a completely corrupt politician. Because he approved all this stuff through the town magistrate, which is him. Yeah. So like, obviously conflict of interest abound. I also want to point out, Luke's very mad at Taylor for doing construction like while he's doing his restaurant business. Yeah. Luke continued to operate his restaurant while it was under construction. Yeah. This is very hypocritical. Yeah, while, like, parts of the ceiling were, like, falling into people's food and coffee. Yeah, but suddenly he cares that there's construction happening during business hours. To be fair, it's Dosi, and everything Dosi does is terrible. Yeah. Then we cut back to the Gilmore Girls garage, which is now cleaned up, and the band is setting up to practice. We also get to meet some of the, like, uh, bandmates. We've met them before. Have we? And then, well, yeah, I don't know how much they've spoken before, though. Uh, I think they both had a few lines. Zach and Brian are their names. Is Zach the one with the long hair? Yes. Okay, so Zach just immediately starts hitting on Lorelai. Like, at first it was like, oh, is he being flirty? And then it was like clear that he does want to bang Lorelai. He, by the way, comes across to me as like a dumber Dean, which hmm. is very dumb. Okay. Did you not feel that? Um, I guess, no, I didn't have that exact feeling. Okay, well, I do. <laughs> okay. What's funny about the scenes, he like is clearly like trying to flirt with Lorelai. And, you know, she's being kind of like, oh, okay, hi, that's nice. And then she goes to talk to her daughter about it, like two feet away from him. And she's just loudly talking about what he's doing and how awkward it is. And I'm like, there's no way he can't hear you. She's kind of like, save me. And Rory won't. Yeah. But the, there's no way that guy can't hear. He's right there. This is like a, in a play where you pretend they can't hear you. Well, he's a dumber Dean. Yeah, well, Dean isn't deaf. That was never Dean's issue. Dean is dumb. Zach is deaf. Oh, wow. Okay. And he's in a band? Crazy. Speaking of that, it's funny because her excuse for why she can't come to their concert sometimes because she can't hear music. It's a medical condition. She's, <laughs> she can't. But I'm excited to see where this goes. I hope she dates one of Rory's friends. That's my hope. I think that, I hope that'd be a great plot line. Season five. I'm excited. Also in the scene, Dave is, like, super mean and, like, condescending to Lane. He, like, comes over to her and he's like, I need you to stop playing like a girl and play like a guy. And then he, like, berates her and says that she's got to, like, keep up the momentum and stuff. And and she's just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And Rory's like, um, your boyfriend's being a jerk. Like, you need to do something about that. And so the bandmates don't know they're dating. Is that right? I guess so. She's keeping it from the band. I feel like that's hard to do. Yeah, I don't know why you would. It's sort of funny because she's all like, takes a bunch of verbal abuse from him. And then she'll turn around and go, oh my God, he's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And Rory Stress is like, well, if you're fine with this, I guess it's fine. But what's funny to me about this is a couple things. One, I feel like he doesn't need to be that drastically mean. Like, he could just say one or two things. But secondly, Rory's all like, I hate to tell you this, but like, your boyfriend's being 
a dick. You should know. And I'm like, yeah, but everyone in the town has said that about your boyfriend. And you're like rolling your eyes. They just don't get it. <laughs> Lane has specifically told you she doesn't like your boyfriend. Jess is a jerk. Then it's time for a coffee date. We get to see Lorelai on a date with, what's this guy's name? Steve? No, Todd? No. no Dave? No. Uh, Dan? No. Danny Briscoe. Danny Briscoe. What's his name? Alex. Alex. Guys, you know I'm not good with names. Um, the first, like, seven episodes of this podcast, I didn't know who Suki was. I knew who she was. I didn't know her name. You didn't know Melissa McCarthy's name. Listen, what was this guy's Alex. Alex. So she's on a date with Alex. They're at a coffee shop or coffee brewery. I don't know where this place is. But they're getting all these, like, fancy, like, coffee samples. He's like, we got to try this, like, really strong coffee. And she's like, what could hurt after these, like, dozen coffees I've had? Ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, you're going to, like, get sick. (laughs) I get that it's, like, a running joke that you can drink a lot of coffee. But, like, at some point, your adrenal glands are going to give out. Just like Buffy's. Yeah. Good. No spoilers. But we find out more about Alex. He's got kids, but he doesn't have a lot of free time between having the kids and, like, working all the time and going on dates with Lorelai to coffee places. Um, He does say that. (laughs) Yeah, he does. And it's a write-off for work, which is, oh, I should have thought of that when I was dating. (laughs) Where did you take me that was work? I guess you did, yeah. Yeah. Stand-up trips? All the time I took you on stand-up things. Were those dates? I mean, I could have written them off. (laughs) I am not your tax write-off. Listen, boo, I claimed you, okay? (laughs) I claimed you. Okay. (laughs) Alex says he's got this fishing trip coming up and sort of just like, oh, you could come to that if you want. And she's like, oh, yeah, I love to fish. And then she's just like roped in. She made a mistake. I kind of don't understand why she even said that. Well, she asked him if he had any hobbies. And he was like, no, not really. But I do like fishing and stuff. So in response to that, I think she was like, oh, yeah, fishing's cool. Before he mentioned that fishing was happening this weekend. You know, I don't think she, like, expected him to ask her to go fishing immediately. But she, yeah, she should have just said. She could have just said, oh, I'm not free this weekend or something. But she's all like, shit, I got to fish now. So she is in a conundrum. She's got to learn to fish. Classic sitcom situation. Does she? I mean, I guess because she said she fishes, she does need to learn to fish. But I don't know. I think she should have just been like, yeah, I'll go and learn with you. That could have been romantic. Like if he was teaching her to fish. Exactly. Also, it's just like, you're both adults. You know, like this is like in a high school thing where you're like, yeah, I know how to do that thing. She could just be like, you know, I haven't fished in so long. I barely remember. And then he would probably be like, let me teach you. Yeah. Like the movie Ghost, but with fish. Sure. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever really done this where, like, lied to a guy about something I'm interested in. Suki later, like, tells her that she did that with Jackson, like, told him she liked frogs and he just keeps buying her frogs. It was kind of a cute story, but I, I don't know. If, women, do you do this? I've done this. You have? Yeah. So there was a girl who I was, like, super into a long time ago, and I had not read any of the Harry Potter books, but she and I, like, our interests aligned, like, on everything. And she mentioned how much she loved the Harry Potter books, and I was like, oh, yeah, I read them, too. I like to it but I thought it was gonna be that was one and done we're done talking about it but then she just started talking about it she that was like her biggest obsession was how much she had loved these books she had just read and she was coming that weekend to visit me and she's like oh my god I want to talk about the books so much and I'm like fuck so then I had to read five books in a week <laughs> and you liked them I did like them but I just remember being like I can't go outside today guys I've got to finish Harry Potter 4 all right and how long did this relationship last it didn't it was just a friendship oh no it's okay oh yeah yeah, it's okay, because now we're together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't be if you hadn't read Harry Potter, though. No, no, no. 
Why didn't you just tell her you hadn't read it? Because I, I had already said I had. And I was like, yeah, I liked it. You, it's weird to be like, I was making that up just to be agreeable to you. <laughs> but it's weird that you weren't just like, oh, I haven't read it. I'd like to. We like it's like we were talking about like 15 things and like we were just like, oh, my God, you like that? I like that. And they were all true. And then we got to Harry Potter and I was like, what's one more thing? This one was a lie. And then I was like, fuck. And she's like, I'm so, I just read the fifth one. We got to talk about it when we when I come. And honestly, the fifth one is where the plot really thickens, if we're being real. Sure. And then I, like, finished it, like, literally, like, 20 minutes before she got there. Okay. Well, I guess men do this. I think everybody does this. Let us know. What is the sound that happens above us? It's like someone's vacuuming without a plugged-in vacuum. They just have a giant rolling pin they roll on the floor. Yeah, I don't know. That's what it sounds like. Or their floors are really uneven and they're sitting in a rolly chair. No, it sounds purposeful. Maybe they have one of those vacuums that's, like, not really, like, mechanical, you know what I mean? And they spill often. Another girl that I was into, I was trying to come up with any reason to hang out with her, and she was like, I've got a bunch of, like, smoked salmon my mom has. And I was like, oh, I love salmon. She's like, oh, you should come over and have some. I was like, yeah. And I came over, and I did not like it at all, but I pretended to. What? That's a weird reason to get a boy to come over. I mean, I think she just wanted me to come over. Oh, my mom has a fish. (laughs) (laughs) You want to come over? (laughs) So, like, she was, like, grasping at straws for reasons to have you come over. It's okay. I was like, I love fish. I love it. I see why it didn't work out with you, too. Anyway, so let me cut to Lane and Rory getting together to go grab some makeup for this arranged wedding they're going to be going to. Not part of. Well, I guess they're not being married, but they are going to this arranged Korean wedding. But they go to the same makeup shop that Shane used to work at with her very irregular weird hours. Shane's not there, and there's not even, like, a whisper of, like, oh, I hope Shane's not here. That might be weird. No, it's Kirk, which is funny, because Kirk works everywhere. And there's very funny scenes with Kirk where, like, they're checking out, and he's just, like, very into everything they bought and, like, gives them a ton of free samples. Like, more than they bought worth of free samples. And he, like, seems interested. He's like, yeah, give me a call back and let me know how that facial scrub works out. He's, like, painting the nails of the mannequin display. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty funny. I would never take a sample from Kirk after the hey there shampoo debacle. Mm-hmm. I would be like, maybe uh, we don't trust you anymore. No, no. But I guess it actually kind of justifies his interest in these things. However, this whole scene is like foreshadowing and setting up disaster because like lane is just ecstatic about how happy she is because she's figured out this plan to go to prom with dave which obviously her mother would never allow but she convinced her mother to maybe let her go to prom if she gives her mom full approval on what she wears she has a promise not to dance (laughs) yeah but a maybe for miss kim is, is still big but she's got this big plan, which we've seen in the works of her, like, introducing Dave to her mother organically as if, you know, she had nothing to do with it. So she's all like, I'm so excited. My plan's foolproof. Everything's going great. Everything's coming up lane. You know it's not gonna. Anytime in either of these two shows where someone is like, I am happy. You're like, well, that's bad because it's not going to stay that way. Dave must really like her. That's a lot. Yeah. They've set up that Dave is willing to go through all the hoops and her previous boyfriends weren't. I know, but why? I don't know. Lane's awesome. Why would you say that? (laughs) But she literally says the words, it's all working out perfectly. And I'm like, okay, is Lane going to die in this episode? (laughs) (laughs) So then we cut to another student council scene. A lot of those this season. 
This scene is actually pretty funny because Luis and Madeline show up and Luis is like unhappy with her boyfriend. And then Madeline's like, well, we could switch boyfriends. And then Luis is like, isn't that how I got him? (laughs) (laughs) Madeline's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we switched before. And then like as the scene goes on later, she's like, all right, maybe I'll stay with him till Friday. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But Paris is late, which is weird. You know, Paris is never late except this season constantly. And there seems to be a new advisor, which makes sense because Paris was very upset with her previous advisor. It's a very similar looking man, but it is a different man. So I don't know if they're just trying to trick us or if Paris got a different advisor because of her drama. Well, Paris shows up and it's super tense because they started without her. And her first order of business is that she wants to impeach Rory because Rory has broken her ethics oath. And then she brings out this like pamphlet called Rory's High Crimes and Misdemeanors that she just starts passing out to everybody. These are like printed and bound books. These are like like you ha- you had to spend money to make these. She must have a print shop in her house. This is not the first time she's presented a binder. Yeah, and she's just handing them out to everybody. Except Francie. Where is she? Yeah, Francie's not there, which is super weird, right? Actually, there's not even that many people. I'm guessing, like, they just didn't really have lines for Francie in this episode, right. so they didn't want to pay her to be a silent person. And Francie probably would interject or, like, take Paris' side, maybe, even. Yeah, they just didn't want to deal with the entanglement of that. Yeah. Anyway, this becomes like a very public fight, obviously. Rory insists that Francie already knew about the boyfriend, so like she didn't betray her trust. I'm so sorry if you can hear this rolling. It's intense. Yeah, it's complicated, right? Because like Francie saw the boyfriend, but Rory did confirm that yes, it is Paris's boyfriend. But also Paris is showing up 15 minutes late to all kinds of meetings. That's true. Obviously, what Paris is doing here is, like, insanity. I mean, it's sitcom-y stuff, but, like, anyone that saw this would be like, Paris, you're having a meltdown. You need to be dealt with. Yeah, like, I get that she's pissed, but it's not that big of a deal. In the long run, it doesn't matter. You're going to be done with high school in, like, a minute. Just chill. You never have to see these people again. So then we get a scene at Luke's where a female lawyer named Nicole comes in. Whoa, women can be lawyers? And stars hollow, I guess they can. It's funny, she shows up looking for Lucas. Yeah. And Jess is like, oh, Lucas. She brought Dosie's lease for him to sign. But there's like definitely like a flirty vibe between the two. Yeah, she likes his coffee. Yeah. Buy a vacuum! I mean, I don't know if the vacuum would be less loud. This is what it's like to live in New York, guys. Like, you try to record a podcast, you build special podcast recording boxes, and then your neighbors are like, cool, we're going to do our bongos today. We find out from Nicole that she's just one of many lawyers that work for Dosi because they take turns. Obviously, no one wants to be Dosi's lawyer, which is funny, and it was like her short straw this time. Yeah, like her lawyer group represents him. and Right, her firm. She also says he likes things in triplicate. Which, I don't know if this is intentional, but the guy tells him to stop touching his saw three times. No, it's interesting. (laughs) I doubt that was intentional. It's also probably just the comedic rule of threes. Yeah. When Nicole leaves, Jess starts giving Luke all kinds of shit for his, like, dry spell. He hasn't been in a date in a long time. Jess is like, I'm going out with Rory all the time and we're banging hard. He doesn't say that last part. When's the last time you went out? And Luke's like, I drove a girl home a while ago. Jess is like, that's not... A date. But he also points out that Nicole was being flirty, which yes. maybe Luke didn't notice. Yeah. It's funny, too. She's like, you're officially in business with Mr. Dosey. And he just, like, cringes. <laughs> <laughs> then we have, like, a weird time jump where it's still at Luke's. Yeah, it goes to commercial, but then it's nighttime. Yeah. And Lorelai's there with, like, 50 books about fishing. And she's, like, going to try to learn about fishing overnight. I guess this is the same kind of Harry Potter situation. Before Rory shows up with all the books, Lorelai's, like, super awkward. Which Luke points out, he's like, you're really weird without Rory here. Yeah. She's like, do you have any stories, any best friends with funny names? And he says, Jeff Smith. I totally forgot about that. 
Luke Caesar trying to learn from a book, and he's like, you know, I could teach you if you want. Learning from a book's probably pretty hard. I'll come by your house after work, and I'll teach you how to fish. And she's like, oh, that's really nice. Thank you. One thing that bothered me about this scene is two things. One, a <laughs> One thing that bothered me about this scene are the following five things. <laughs> they make a point of looking up, like, the fisherman. Like, the word for it is angler. And she's like, huh, I learned that angler. But then for the rest of the scene, they keep not using that word. They keep calling her, like, fisher or fisherman. And it's like, you just learned the right word. Use it. That's true. Also, it's just so funny to think that she was going to go through those books. I feel like, I I know this is the past, but like, we just Google it. Watch a YouTube video. Exactly. Well, actually, before Luke says he's going to help, she does say she's going to like watch a TV show. Then we have a scene at the headmaster's office. Rory's gotten called in. She's like, what's going on? Of course, Paris is there too. Paris thinks that Rory snitched on her. I don't know what that means because Paris, girl, what was the secret? You printed out, bound, and handed out evidence that you were fighting with Rory. Like, what did she snitch on you for? She had a huge, like, meltdown in a big student council thing where she tried to impeach Rory. And the headmaster even says, like, everybody in school is talking about what happened at the newspaper. It's funny because the headmaster asks if this is about a boy. And Paris is, like, snippy about that. She's like, oh, just because we're women, it must be about a boy. But it is. It's 100% about a boy. I mean, it's about her trust in Rory, but it's, like, because of a boy. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I get why she would not like that comment from him, but it's kind of about a boy pairs. Yeah. This scene is very interesting. For how many reasons? For the following one reason. Rory's like, this all started because you tried to impeach me because you haven't been properly diagnosed. And I know that's like a throwaway funny line, but like if we're being real, if we're being honest, obviously Paris is like autistic, right? Like that's, that's true. Yeah, she does have... Indications of being on the spectrum. I feel like the show just would like not make that a joke and just like be that's just reality. Because that just like justifies so much of Paris's like behavior in yeah, a way that's it's... like she's not a bad person. She's not a crazy person. She just her behavior's different, you know? Mm-hmm. That's true. Because it seems like she is written like she's on the spectrum. Really, truly, yeah. But like they th- play it like a joke here. And it's like, no, the behavior is because she's on the spectrum, and that's fine. Like, let's just talk about that, you know? Like, yeah, I don't know how much it was, like, talked about at that time. Right. Or how much we even knew about it at that time. But, like, Paris is hyper-intelligent, right? She's not good at social cues. Like, that's just what it is. Let's talk about it and not make it a throwaway joke. But, it, I mean, that's how they play it. Yeah, but her character has so much humor, I feel like it would almost be weird to, like, say she has autism and then make her a joke. Right, I understand that. Mocking the behavior then becomes problematic, yeah. Or you have to, like, really address that, like, this character has autism and that's a real thing. And then it's, like, becomes too dramatic, I think. Yeah, it's just lines like this is what muddies the water a little bit where you're like, now you are playing it for a joke, though. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it was one throwaway line, but it was it was interesting. Mr. Charleston goes on to give them this, like, talking to about, like, how are you going to survive in college if you can't even handle this here? But then he mentions, you know, like, I have written letters of recommendation to Harvard for both of you. And, like, if you keep up with this, you know, I'll retract them, essentially. But it was like, oh, this is, like, a big reveal. Like, he has written letters of rec for both of them, which is kind of huge. And he says he's retracted nice letters before. Yeah. Then outside their office, Rory's feeling a lot of remorse. And she's like, ugh, I just feel rotten, don't you? And Paris is like, nope, and just, like, storms off. You'd think she would feel rotten if she's losing her chance at Harvard. Yeah, or she'd feel good because, like, oh, I have a letter of rec from the headmaster for sure. Or Rory might lose her chance at Harvard. Yeah, so happy for either of those. (laughs) Then we cut to the Gilmore Girl house where Luke shows up and he's ready to teach her how to fish. 
Lorelai comes out in like total fisherman gear. Like she's got waders on and everything. And she's a little flirty, I feel like, with Luke for like a second. Well, yeah, she like pretends to be like an old timey flirty movie lady. Yeah. And Luke's all like, let's get this done. He's brought like a kiddie pool and I guess he set it up and filled it with water while she was inside. Yeah. And then he's just got a whole bucket of trout he dumps in the pool. Yeah. Where did he get? Did he fish for the fish? I mean, you could probably buy them live somewhere. I guess maybe he gets fish at his restaurant. I doubt he's getting live fish. Yeah, I agree. Or he starts naming them. Yeah. One of the fish is being maybe a little too fresh with one of the other fish. <laughs> She's like, get away from her. Lorelai doesn't want to hurt the fish, which is um, part of fishing. So Luke teaches her, but the scene is more about Luke being like, who are you going fishing with? And she admits to him, like, well, I'm going on a date with this guy named Alex. And he's like, why wouldn't you tell me? Like, why would you keep that a secret? And she's like, uh, you, you don't want to know about my personal life. And it's like, girl, you tell him about your personal life every time you see him. Yeah, girl. So obviously this is like alluding to some tension between them, right? Yeah, I like this scene. I thought it was well acted. Yeah. I mean, you can tell Luke is a little, like, awkward and jealous about her going on a date, but then he, like, says he's happy for her. I don't know. I just, I thought they played their, like, sexual tension well. Yeah. A romantic tension. Yes. What's interesting to me is, like, how this parallels a little bit with Rory. Why is that? Because in a previous episode, Rory didn't tell Jess that she was, like, hanging out with Dean. Hmm. And Jess was like, it's fine that you're hanging out with Dean, but, like, I wish you had told me. And it's sort of, like, a similar way that Luke's hurt. Like, you know, obviously you can date, but, like, it's weird that you didn't tell me. Yeah, because he, like, directly asked. Yeah. It's kind of funny, too, that he's like, you're going fishing with Sugi, with Rory? I know you don't have more friends than that, so who are these friends you're fishing with? (laughs) How about that crazy neighbor that, like, lives... At the Oasis. Dwight? Yeah. We seen him again? I don't want to tell you what happens with Dwight. Oh. Uh, he got sucked into Jumanji? Is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Luke's relationship with Lorelai is the big offer this season. Right? She had that dream where they were, like, going to have kids. Yeah. They set that up. They've given them each a new love interest. And I feel like that's just the writers being like, all right, let's throw up some hurdles so they can't date, but they're going to want to, but we got these hurdles. Don't you think that's what's been happening the whole time? I think Jess is a hurdle. You think Jess is a hurdle for Lorelai and Luke? Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay, yeah, I see that. I, I don't think that's a direct hurdle, though. I think it gave Luke's character something else to do besides try to date Lorelai. Sure. I legit think that's, like, a known thing about the show, that they introduced Jess. A, as, like, a replacement for the Tristan type, but B, to keep Lorelai and Luke from, like, needing to be together. Hmm. I think there's other hurdles. There's Christopher. I feel like Christopher, though, was, like, a legit, like, plot thread of, like, she might be with Christopher. Yeah. Whereas, like, this new guy, Alex, I don't feel that way at all. I feel like Alex is just, like, a dude who's there to be a hurdle. But Jess is also a hurdle. Jess is not a hurdle. Why don't you think Jess is a hurdle? Because I think it's a love interest for Rory. I think it's that I think that's a Rory storyline. I think it's both. Okay, sure. So the next morning, it's date time. Alex shows up. Rory's awake. She's very tired. She doesn't want to be awake. Lorelai set Rory's alarm so that Rory would wake her up if her alarm didn't go off. Which, to be fair, Lorelai has missed her alarm a lot of times. Yeah, it's maybe it was the right decision. Yeah. So while Lorelai is, like, getting stuff ready to put in the car... Alex, like, has a little moment with Rory, and is like, hey, so does your mom, like, know how to fish, and Rory, like, lies for her mom, but... Well, he's, like, she's never been fishing before, right? Like, he already knows. Yeah. And Alex is like, I got her reservations, like, lunch reservations somewhere. Rory's kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. (laughs) And then Rory goes to sleep on the couch. Here's my thing, though. If he's like, hey, she's never been fishing, I got us reservations somewhere, and was that him being like, we'll go fishing if she's super good at it and loves it, we'll keep fishing all day? Or is it just like, I mean, why are they even going fishing? I think he maybe had a hunch she didn't know how to fish, so he planned an additional activity she would enjoy. Yeah. Okay. 
Then we get to the big meat of the episode, the arranged marriage at the church. Mrs. Kim's house. You're right, but it's sort of like a church. I guess it's Mrs. Kim's house slash shop. Where does she put all the antiques? There's been They're episodes- up in the walls. Are they? Okay. Yeah, we... like, it's always full of stuff. Oh, I wanted to mention, earlier, um, Lane mentioned their mom was in a super good mood because she finally sold a bunch of like mismatched chairs. I thought that was really funny. And Rory's like, I'm going to miss those. Yep, I'm going to miss those chairs. This episode's very, like, trying to remind us that Lane and Rory have been friends for a long time. They mentioned several times that they've been friends since they were young and they've got all this history- We'll talk about that more in a minute. I just thought it was weird that they were, like, really hitting that home. Yeah. Um, But, no, I think there is a separate church. This is not the church. Okay, this is just the Kim's residence slash shop. Yeah, where Dave plays him sometimes. Yeah. So I'm not 100% sure what's going on. There's, like, multiple arranged Korean marriages here every year. Yeah, it seems like Lane's had a lot of cousins that have gotten married, and this is the last of her cousins that's getting married. I don't know they're always arranged, but this one is. But I don't understand, like, does Miss Kim run this? Because she seems to be, like, on the stage, and she's, like, got everything. I mean, I guess it is her venue. Yeah, maybe she's just the most type A. Yeah. Then there's this weird interaction where Miss Kim sits Dave down next to a woman who's going to be, like, singing, I guess. And then, like, points at her and says to Dave, watch your high notes. She's a runner. I don't know what that means. All I can think of is, like, she, like, does runs? Or, like, just keeps it going? Yeah, I, I don't... Like, holds notes? I don't know. Dave, uh, good-naturedly makes fun of Lane's bow. She's got this, like, giant bow on her back. And Lane's super embarrassed. There's a funny scene where she walks backwards up the stairs so he can't see the bow. He's pretending to be, like, into the bow. It's, like, his new thing. That was really cute. Yeah, they're flirting and obviously getting along, which is, you know, evidence that terrible things are going to happen in the show. I don't understand why, but apparently Rory and Lane are, like, in charge of preparing the bride's makeup for the ceremony. Why are they in charge? Who else? It seems like this is a tradition of Rory and Lance, though. They've done this for many, many weddings for years. I get that, but it's just weird that they're, like, in charge of this stranger's makeup. Yeah, it does seem weird at least that Rory would be part of that. Especially since they don't seem to speak Korean. So they're up there talking to each other, ignoring this poor bride who has no idea what's going on, can't speak any English. This scene is supposed to be funny, but honestly it bothered me quite a bit. It's a weird scene. There's a lot happening. Because the two girls are talking back and forth. Again, just so much evidence it's not going to work out with Lane. Because they're both just so happy for each other. Everything's going great. Yeah, Rory's happy for Lane, and then Lane's like, I'm so happy for you about jazz. Yeah, even though Rory's then like, I'm sorry you don't like jazz. And Lane's like, I can't help it. But like, maybe we'll give him a second chance. They put an ottoman in front of the door so that like their mother doesn't know that they're using better makeup, I guess. Yeah. Because Lane goes and grabs some of that makeup they bought earlier from her floorboard secret stash. But they're just talking back and forth, like just totally ignoring this bride. I feel so bad for the bride. She looks terrified. She looks like she's going to throw up. They don't care. But uh, a funny scene happens when Miss Kim walks in and like, you know, it takes her a second to push the ottoman aside. And then Rory like, quote unquote, like falls so she can hide all of the makeup. And Miss Kim's like, what happened in here? Rory's like, I felt off my chair and then Miss Kim's like okay well don't <laughs> that was very funny and then Lane tells a story about how one of these arranged marriages didn't work out and like someone carrot peeled their husband yeah I know and again like this is right in front of this woman who we assume doesn't speak English but maybe she's hearing these horror stories apparently that couple's still together too yeah <laughs> what the fuck but apparently this is the last marriage so they're like a little bittersweet that this is gonna be the last one yeah I don't really 
really know what, what's going on here. Like, they're just reminding us that they're friends because, I don't know, Lane's not in every episode or, like, because they're going to be going to college, maybe? They're, like, getting sad about not seeing each other as much? Yeah, I don't know. I just re- didn't really get where we were going with, like, all the sentimentality yeah. about these weddings we've never heard of. Yeah. Uh, so the wedding goes on and, like, they get married. There's a weird moment where Miss Kim, like, notices something weird about the bride's makeup and, like, fixes it. Which, again, is like, what are you doing? What, why are you on stage fixing the bride's makeup, like, mid-vow? I don't understand. Why didn't you do the makeup then, Miss Kim? I don't get it. Rory and Lane are talking about, you know, the bittersweetness of this being over. And they mention something about how, like, Jess doesn't come to these types of things. And Rory's all like, well, I'm going to work on that. We'll see. And it's like, no, Rory, don't try to change a guy. That's not how it works. That's always bad news. Jess is not going to change and be like a cool dude suddenly. I kind of feel like she said it just to be like, eh, yeah, whatever. We don't need to talk about it. Not like I'm actively planning to make Jess come to these stupid things. That's not, that's not how I felt at all. I felt like this was like, I am going to change Jess. Hmm. I thought she kind of said it like, yeah, well, I know I probably won't, but maybe he'll change someday. Um, okay. Well, audience, what do you think? What do you think? Because I feel like it was, I'm going to change Jess. And I feel like it was what I said. And I feel like it was like what I said. After the, the wedding, Rory says, that was nice. But again, I'm like, was it though? The bride looks like she wants to kill herself. Yeah, it didn't seem nice. And then Miss Kim comes over to Lane. He's like, Lane, I want to introduce you to Young Chu, a Korean guy in a suit, who's going to be your prom date. So Lane's like, what, huh, what, huh? She's like, no, I don't want to go with this guy. Then she like runs off to follow her mom into the kitchen. But then she says, she runs back and she's like, I'm sure you're nice, which I thought was very funny. Then she goes in the kitchen and she starts arguing with her mom and like admits that she actually really likes Dave and she wants Dave to be the one that goes to prom with her. And then she gives like this pretty good justification like, you've met Dave, you like Dave, and I sensed the God in him. Really tries to make it seem like her mom was the one that made her like Dave. Yeah. And it seems like Miss Kim does buy it, but then she just says at the end, he's not Korean, so they can't be together, which sucks. Yeah. But I guess that relationship's over because he's not. You think it's over? Yeah. Okay. I think Lane's going to hear that and be like, okay, well, it's a good point. She's probably going to marry Young Chu in the next episode. Yeah. And then she also informs Dave that he's not Korean. Yeah, which is a shock to Dave. You should see Dave's face. He just doesn't believe it. But some relationships are working because meanwhile, at Luke's diner, Luke notices outside pretty flirty lawyer Nicole is outside talking to Dosie. He like waves at her and then Taylor waves yeah. back and looks like, not you. Yeah. And he goes outside and he just like super awkwardly asks her on a date, which is interesting because I feel like two things got to him. One, Jess constantly like ragging on him about like how he's not been with anyone in a long time. But also he just saw that Lorelai's moving on. So he's like, well, I should probably move on. Yeah, I have this opportunity. Um, so they're going to go out. It's, that's really fun. By the way, she mentions that coffee at Luke's place was 75 cents, which blew my mind. Can you imagine when coffee was that cheap? I think coffee at college for me was under a dollar, like 85 cents. Yeah. Maybe. That's when I started really drinking coffee. I would get it from those carts. So then Jess just like, I don't know, kind of smiles at Luke, gives him a hard time a little bit with his grin. I like this dynamic with Jess and Luke because it shows that they care about each other. It's like good natured male bonding, I feel like. Yeah. And I like that because it shows us that Jess is in a total piece of garbage. Yeah, he's never nice to Luke, but I don't know. He could just ignore him completely. I mean, I feel like egging someone on about like, you should go on a date is like a little toxic masculinity kind of. But like, I feel like Jess is doing it to like encourage him to do it, not to be like actually making fun of him. Mm -hmm. You know, like you should date this girl. She's into you. Not just like you're a loser, Luke, you know? Right. Uh, Which is the kind of toxic masculinity that Luke needs in his life. (laughs) 
Then we have one final scene at the Gilmore Girl house where Lorelai has brought a fish home to live in their tub. Yeah, it seems like it's going to live there. She couldn't bring herself to kill it. I just want to know why they didn't throw it back in the water. I don't know. But the big takeaway from the scene is there's going to be another date. She likes him. She likes him enough, and we need that Roblox so she can't be with Luke right away. They have good chemistry. Yeah, it was whatever. I don't know. I don't care about Alex at all. So, Stacey, do you think this is a good episode of Gilmore Girls? I think it was better than the last one mm-hmm. by quite a bit, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it was like a good one. Yeah. It had some really good scenes. I really liked this scene with them fishing. Yeah. And uh, the Headmaster Charleston scene was interesting. The stuff with Luke and Jess was great. It's fun to see Luke have a potential love interest. We've never really seen that before. We've only seen him flirty with Lorelai and flirty with an ex. We haven't seen him like develop a new love interest. Right. I was going to say, what about Rachel? But yeah, that was an ex. I didn't really care about Rachel. Like they just didn't seem like a real couple. No, not at all. I didn't buy that they had chemistry where we saw Luke have chemistry with this woman. Right. Yeah, I felt like it was much, much better than the previous episode. Lane having that moment with her mom, while it is frustrating, it was cool to see her actually like tell her mom the truth about Dave, kind of. The truth-ish. Yeah. Um, but no, I wouldn't say it was a great episode, but it it was not bad. Yeah, I would say it was a fine episode. It was funny. The stuff with Luke and Dosey was funny. The marriage stuff with Lane's family was weird. Yeah, there shit. was a lot of time spent on that, and I just was like, what? You're trying to tell us this is like a very important thing to Lane and Rory that they've never mentioned? Stop trying to like build their relationship late in the game. Yeah. And as I pointed out probably too many times, there's just two or three scenes where Lane's like, everything's going well. And I'm like, that's the only reason you say that is because you're going to not have it go well. Yeah. It's a little weird we didn't see Jess and Rory interact. Like, yeah. Jess mentioned hanging out with Rory. Rory mentioned hanging out with Jess, but, like... We haven't seen them together in a couple episodes now. I know. We've barely seen them together since they've been together. And just knowing Jess's behavior, they've got to be, like, at third and a half base at this point. Mm-hmm. Should we move on? Let's move on. And now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed, Season 3, Episode 12, Wrestling with Demons. When Prue discovers that one of her ex-boyfriends is being led down a path to becoming a demon, she, Piper, and Phoebe risk their lives in an underworld wrestling ring to save his soul. Okay, what? (laughs) So, Brian, you may not remember this, (sighs) but Prue in Season Uh 2 got kidnapped by Antonio Sabato Jr., Right. who she was falling in love with, Mm -hmm. but then a former flame also kidnapped her. Right. The two of them and a powerful demon all fought over her. How would I ever have forgotten that, honey? And in the end, remember, you remember, of course, you remember, she chose the demon after he won a wrestling match. I am 95% sure we added that wrestling match detail. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't add anything. This is how the show is. We just know how the show goes. Right, right, right. But I'm saying- But it wasn't in the description. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, it just just shows you guys how accurate our descriptions are. Yeah, we predicted this episode. Yeah, this awesome sounding episode. (laughs) This doesn't sound like garbage at all. So which one of the ex-boyfriends do you think this is? The demon Antonio Sabato Jr. or the former flame? This is Antonio Sabato Jr. He's back. Okay. He's got into wrestling because he knows Prue's into it. Mm-hmm. It's how you get to her heart. She yeah. loves it when men wrestle over her. Yeah. She was probably talking to him on the phone. She's like, oh my God, I love Harry Potter. And he's like, yeah, I read them all. And she's like, I love wrestling demons. She's like, yeah, I, I love wrestling demons too. And she's like, cool, let's see it. So he becomes a wrestling demon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, this must be done in the underworld. Right. Have we talked about the underworld? I mean, we haven't talked about it. I mean, you and I talk about it all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. But have we told the people about it? I don't think so. Okay, well, the underworld is, um, you know, like hell. It's like hell. Yeah, but it's different. It's different. Like, there's still entertainment, like wrestling. It's like 
not as bad as hell. Tennis. They they have like it's like there's parties and stuff. Yeah. It's just like dark, kind of red. Yeah. A lot of ghosts hanging out. Very hot. Very scary, but like kind of a fun scary. Yeah. Like going to like a haunted house or like a masquerade. Yeah. Or like a basement that you're not familiar with. Yeah. Or one that you are familiar with, but you're like a kid. So they go to the underworld wrestling ring and um help him from being a demon? Well, I think they have to wrestle. Yeah, because somebody has to wrestle. There's yeah. a wrestling match set up. There's tons of people there to see it. Yeah, and she's like, listen, dude, you're going to lose. You're not a good wrestler. And he's like, yeah, I am. She's like, come on, let's be honest. He's like, no, I'm not. I suck. And so, you know, the three women wrestle. They combine their strength, sort of like Voltron, and they wrestle the demon, and they win, and that's the whole episode. And Prue, I mean, he didn't wrestle, so she's not going to date him. No, she really actually is into wrestling. So. Yeah, she loves it. Really not a win-win for Antonio Sabato Jr. No, he's all like, ugh, maybe I'll be good at something else you like and I'll come back in a later season. But we've already predicted that one. Yep. This is Ben. Meanwhile on Charmed. So then we watched Buffy. Stacy, please tell us about Helpless. In this episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Giles drugs Buffy because it's her birthday and she has to do some kind of test and I mean Buffy's not happy about it because like both of her father figures are just being real shitty to her and then Giles gets fired? I mean, spoilers, but you would have had spoilers in like 20 minutes, so here we go. I don't know how many people are listening to our podcast having not watched the episode. <laughs> don't spoil me until I'm ready for the spoilers. So it starts with Angel and Buffy at Angel's place having like a sexy fight. Like they got candles lit. Romantic lighting seems very important to Angel. He's always got some kind of fire burning. We find out that it's Buffy's birthday weekend, and Angel asks if he'll see her, and he's like such a baby about it. He's like, will I see you on your birthday? I'm your maybe boyfriend, vampire, ex-lover. I tried to kill you and all your friends. Will I see you? Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, subtext is all that. that. No, those are the lines, and that's how he says them. <laughs> She's like, well, I don't know, probably not, because I have a date. With my dad, he's taking her to the ice show. We've set up that Buffy loves the ice, so that makes sense. And she's like, gotta go. This very sexually charged fight sesh was cool, but I gotta meet my dad. I mean, my Giles. Why are they fighting? I don't know. Like, why are they spending time together? They're training, I guess. But, like, she can train with Giles, who she's hopefully not sexually attracted to. I feel like if she's hanging out with Angel, she should be like, hey, Xander and Willow, let's go hang out with Angel. Yeah, watch me wrestle in front of the candles with Angel. Like an episode ago, Angel's like, I gotta kill myself. A couple episodes before that, she was like, I can't spend time with you because you will never be friends. Yeah, yeah. So it was like weird that like, no, we're not gonna make out. We're just gonna have like really intimate, very sexually charged training sessions. It doesn't really make sense. I get, it does make sense that she trained with, like, an actual vampire. Sure, yeah. If he's at full strength now, who knows? Yeah, he could knock a door off his back probably at this point. But they should have a chaperone. That's why they call Watchers Watchers. Exactly. So she goes to meet Giles. Giles is making her identify various, I don't know, like, crystals, gemstones. And she identifies one of them as Angel's dick. <laughs> I know. One's white and phallic, and she just, like, can't take her mind or her mitts off of it. She's just, like, stroking it. It's really weird. She's like, I just got a lot of, like, uh, energy inside me. <laughs> Why is this, like, stone thing part of her training? I mean, I, it might all be a ruse. I don't think it. I think it's all a ruse. Okay. I was like, this seems not that important. Apparently, Faith has skipped town, so Buffy would rather be patrolling than doing this. And eventually, she goes patrolling, and this one vampire is, like, maybe the Delta variant? He's, like, a little harder to kill than normal vampires? <laughs> She's eventually able to get him by, like, sort of tricking him, but this is a little worrisome. Why couldn't she get him? Buffy's in the library the next day doing some, like, knife-throwing target practice just, you know, during school hours. Got a big old knife target set up. Right, right. 
She's like, Giles, what's wrong with me? I just can't throw knives good. And he suggests maybe she's sick. And she's like, no, no, I can't be sick. My dad's taking me to the ice show. And then Buffy's talking to her friends. They're like really poo-pooing the ice show. They want to have a party for her instead. She's like, nope, my dad's the best, even though the show has shown us absolutely no evidence of that. In fact, quite the opposite. He didn't take her to the ice show last year, even though she says she does it every year. I mean, I guess maybe we just didn't see that he took her. I believe her that they go every year. So like the previous year, Angel like fucks her, loses his soul. The judge is out there. She blows the judge up with the rocket launcher, saving the world, but Angel's still out there. And then she's like, all right, Dad, let's go to this ice show. Yes. After her and her mom cried and had that cupcake because her mom didn't have time to get her a real cake. (laughs) Cut to Buffy ditched by her dad via note. He's too busy with work. He can't take her to the ice show. He sent some flowers saying, I'll make it up to you. And leaves her the tickets, I guess. As bad as Joyce seems, her dad seems so much worse. Yeah. She's clearly bummed. And then we get a brief scene of some dudes in like a creepy old house, like building a secret brick room. And they say it's almost ready and that the Slayer's preparation is nearly complete. I think they're breaking up the exits. Oh, okay. I thought they were like building the room that the dude later lives in. No, they were like breaking up a window, I think. Okay. They're doing some kind of brick work and we don't know what it is yet. Meanwhile, Giles is getting out the gems again while Buffy babbles on about how great the ice show is. She is not subtly trying to pitch the idea that he take her. And then he rejects her hard. He's like, no, no, stare into the stone until your brain falls asleep. (laughs) (laughs) And then he injects her with something. Ripper, what are you doing? We, that's, no, no. No, no, we don't inject girls with things. Yeah. I mean, in the 90s, you know, (laughs) it wasn't that uncommon for a teacher to inject you with something. And then he, like, waves his hand over the stone and she comes back to life. Rewatching the scene, I I think he played it really creepy, but I think if you really watch it, he is playing it more subtly. Like, he isn't happy about what he's doing. Yeah. Because later you find out he's not actually evil. He just, like, has to do this. But I don't know. It felt very creepy in the moment. I I think he did a pretty good job playing the duality of that for both rewatched and first viewing. Apparently, Willow is housing Amy the rat. She's been trying to change her bag, but it also seems like she's enjoying having a pet. Let's talk about what Willow and Buffy are wearing. Willow is in <laughs> mustard yellow stripes of yarn from head to toe. <laughs> yeah. She's got a giant winter hat on. Is Amy under there? Ratatouing her? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, Willow's not in this episode that much, but every time we see her, she's wearing a giant stupid hat. Yeah, it's almost like, did something happen to your hair, Allison Hannigan? <laughs> you have to wear this hat? Do you have, like, a giant lump on your head? And Buffy's wearing an oversized coat that clearly says, I'm going to be doing some falling in the scene, and this coat is to cover up my stunt double's falling foam. A hundred percent. There's like two scenes with Buffy where it's like, you're going to have pads in there in a second. Yeah. But Willow and Buffy see that this dude is straight up like abusing Cordelia in the courtyard because she made him look like a dork in front of his posse. That's what he says. <laughs> but he's like grabbing her and pushing her. Like, did he think he would just get away with that? There's so many people around. I know. Buffy goes to defend her and she tries to pull the guy off of her and she just like cannot. And he kind of just like gently pushes her away and she falls hard. So good thing she's wearing that jacket. <laughs> Buffy goes to tell Giles about how weak she is. She's like, I'm not strong. I'm not coordinated. And I throw knives like a girl, Giles says. Much like Lane plays drums, according to Dave. Mm. That's weird, right? Yeah. But Giles just kind of plays this off. He's like, yeah, we'll get to the bottom of this eventually, but we're not going to worry about it now, Buffy. You're just sick. It's fine. Have some more drugs. Go to sleep. (laughs) Cut to Giles talking to the old man from the creepy house about the doubts he's having about all this. 
here's where we find out a little bit what's going on. He calls it the cruciamentum. It's like a tradition, this rite of passage that when slayers turn 18, they have to like weaken them and then put them in a locked house with a scared vampire and see if they survive. Giles is like, no, this is stupid and cruel. It it seems like the thing they're trying to test the most is like self-reliance, like how well she can problem solve more so than just like strength. Obviously, they're getting rid of her strength. And the dude assures Giles that in the end, Buffy will be stronger for doing this. And Giles is like, or she'll be dead. Is this because like Slayers don't always live that long? So it's like if they're 18, they must be like old and washed up. I think the idea is if someone were to have the Slayer power, but they're like not like they're not a great Slayer. Probably they wouldn't live to 18, but like maybe for some reason they live to 18 because they're maybe a little bit of a coward. Or they live to 18, but, like, they're just not, you know, somebody else would be better with those powers. So they do this test to be like, yeah, they're either going to pass and it's like, oh, you're a really good slayer. You should have your slayer powers. Or, yeah, you weren't that good of a slayer. Let's have you die so someone else gets your powers who potentially would be better than you. It's kind of like how Richard got pushed out of his company because maybe a younger person would be better. Yeah. And cheaper, even though Buffy doesn't get paid. The problem with this, though, is that the council should be like, yeah, Buffy, like, already produced another Slayer, so, like, maybe she's just, like, an extra Slayer, you know? Yeah. We don't need to put her through tests. There's something to be said, though, about, like, experience, you know? Like, in my analogy to Richard, like, someone that is older, I feel like this is a real thing where old people get pushed out of jobs. Yeah. But, like, they have experience. So, like, yeah, and because there's also faith, like, why not have Buffy? Whatever. Giles leaves, and the monster they're keeping locked in this house just, like, starts screaming. And they open up his little cupboard and see that he's, like, wearing a straight jacket. They say his name is Kralik, I think. And he needs his pills. So one of these, like, lackeys feeds him his pills with this, like, long-ass spoon and gives him water with one of those claw things you use to grab stuff when you're bedridden. Or, like, when you're one of those people that, like, can't wipe right, so you have to use one of those, like, claws to wipe. Or what I said. (laughs) They don't want to go anywhere near this guy because he's one those people that can't wipe. <laughs> That's an issue. We eventually find out he's a vampire. I don't know if you can tell that in this scene. You don't really get a good look at his teeth, even when they put the spoon in. Yeah. But later you see his teeth. He's a vampire. And then they lock him back in his cupboard. Later, these two lackeys are like taking turns taking care of him, and he needs his pills again. What are the pills for? We never really say. I think he's like schizophrenic or something. Maybe. He seems a lot calmer when he's got him and very much in pain when he doesn't. I mean, he's like mentally ill. We've established that, but. I don't know why they chose this vampire. Part of me is like, did they take a vampire that they think is not necessarily a particularly strong vampire? You know, because he's got this like issue that he has to take medication for? Or did they pick a vampire that they thought was especially dangerous? I think maybe because it's a test of, like, will more so than strength, he's kind of unpredictable. Yeah. So, like, not knowing exactly how he'll behave is more of a challenge. But anyway, he tricks one of the guys during his pill time to get him to come closer. He's, like, broken an arm out of his straitjacket, and then he bites the guy and turns him into a vampire. He helps fully bust him out of his restraints, takes a ton of pills. He's, like, much cooler and confident when he takes his pills. And he's like, this is a game. We'll play it, but not by the rules. Buffy's, again, having a little private romantic birthday party with Angel. He's given her a book of sonnets. He wrote always in it. It's another Harry Potter thing. He has beautiful handwriting. He's like, you don't like my gift? You liked it more last year when you got all the judge's body parts in separate boxes. <laughs> and then Buffy tells Angel like how worried she is about losing her powers and just doesn't know she can live life as a regular person. And she references Mr. Pointy. I guess they didn't forget about that. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. 
And Angel's like, I don't know, Buffy, you're just the best. I can't imagine a version of you that wouldn't be awesome. I love your version of Angel, which is a lot like Lane's bandmate. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, Buffy, you should come see our band sometime. (laughs) Yeah, they're similar. She's like, I don't know. When I was regular, I was just kind of a stupid blonde bimbo Cordelia type. He's like, yeah, no, I totally stalked you back then, back when you were a child, and I loved you so much. (laughs) Yeah. And then he, like, recites a poem that he wrote about her heart and how he wanted to warm it with his heart. Buffy, don't fall for this. This is gross and weird. What is this? He's a poet now? But she does kind of say, like, yeah, what? If you take that literally, that's weird. He's like, yeah, I just thought about that. It is weird. Yeah, he's not a poet. He's not Spike. It kind of rhymed what he said. It was weird. Giles goes to the creepy house to look for Quentin, I think is the old man's name. He's like a watcher, right? He's the head of the watcher council. He's the head of the watcher council? Mm-hmm. I don't think they said that. Oh, well, he is. Or he will be. Oh, well, good for him. No one's there, but Giles notices that the scary man has busted out. And the second lackey's super dead. I guess they just ate him and didn't vampire him. And Giles reacts like this is the first time he's ever seen a dead body. He's like, almost throws up. It's one thing to see somebody die. It's another thing to see a watcher dead, you know? It wasn't a watcher, was it? Wasn't it just like a brick dude? Were these guys watchers? They work for the watchers council. Yeah, but are they watchers? I mean, I assume they are because watchers most of the time aren't doing anything. I have no idea what watchers do. They still have not answered. (laughs) The only other watcher we've met before this episode was not a real watcher. Well, maybe we'll meet new watchers at some point. It sounds like it. There's a whole promotion episode. Buffy's just out walking, you know, super safe. She's got a red fighting coat on, so we know some fighting's gonna happen. We know she's gonna fall. (laughs) And then these two random dudes on the street ask her for a lap dance. What are they, Xander? (laughs) Yeah, I know. And then Kralik starts chasing her. She tries to climb a fence and just cannot. That's bullshit, though. Yeah, like, okay, I am not an 18-year-old girl. I'm not in super good shape. I'm not like... Stacey uses one of those claws to wipe. That's what we're trying to say. No, I just... I haven't been working out my arms. But I feel like if I were being chased by a scary man, I could climb that fence. Yeah. So, like, have they literally made Buffy weak? Or has she just, like, lost her super strength? I mean, I think it's... She's lost her super strength. So she's just a regular 18-year-old girl who should be able to climb that fence? 100%. There is barbed wire at the top, but that wasn't the issue. No. She, like, couldn't lift her feet off the ground. (laughs) So she climbs through the fence. She loses her coat in the process. So she's not going to be falling down. No, it was a trick. I think the other reason that she had the coat earlier in the episode was just to show us this coat because it becomes a little bit important to be recognizable. Luckily, Giles is driving by and he puts her in his old, old car, which is still somehow running. He takes her back to the library. She's like super bummed about how weak she is. And then Giles just tells her everything. He tells her he's been giving her muscle relaxants, adrenal suppressants, so she can do this test. But the vampire she was supposed to fight has escaped. And even as immortal, this guy was like real bad. Like he murdered and tortured a bunch of women and was sent to an asylum where a vampire must have bitten him. But we don't hear all that because Buffy just like chucks something across the room at Giles. And he tells her that he wanted to tell her, but he couldn't because of tradition, the council. She's just like, who are you? How could you do this to me? I mean, this is a huge betrayal. Yes. And we later understand why he did it, but it's just it just seems so inhumane. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you ever trust Giles again? I know. She's like, no, no, I'm going to make this up to you. I'm going to keep you safe from Kralik and whatever else I have to do to win back your trust. But Buffy's like, no, you drugged me. We're done. <laughs> Cordelia shows up. This is like some comedy here. She's got some funny lines. She's also wearing a giant jacket. Is she fighting in this scene? (laughs) She can sense things are weird with Buffy and Giles, and Buffy asks Cordelia for a ride home. 
Joyce is home alone late at night. Someone knocks on the door, so of course she answers it. And of course it's Kralik wearing Buffy's coat, like Little Red Riding Hood, lying on the stoop trying to trick Joyce, which works because she answered the freaking door. When you say door. like Little Red Riding Hood, you mean like the grandmother in Little Red Riding Hood. Well, he's wearing the, he's the wolf. Yeah, but the wolf doesn't wear Little Red Riding Hood's outfit. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Oh, it becomes the grandmother. You're right. What weird story did you, like, it, your version ends poorly, I guess. We didn't, uh, we had weird fairy tales where I grew up. Yeah. You know, just like an hour away from where you grew up. <laughs> yeah, well, we grew up normal fairy tales. But he's wearing it like Little Red Riding Hood. Who cares how the story goes? Yeah, who cares? He tricks Joyce. He kidnaps her. Just like Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> Because Joyce opened the door at, like, midnight. Can someone just explain to Joyce that, like, demons and vampires are bad news? She seemed very aware of that last episode. No, I don't know if she did. She just was, like, showing up on the hunting grounds. Like, hey, I brought bagels. But then she tried to kill her daughter because she's demon adjacent. Yeah, it's true. Buffy gets home. Kralix left her a creepy Polaroid of kidnapped Joyce that just says come on the back. (laughs) C-O-M-E. Just see you, am There's cum. It's gross. So Buffy changes into some cute overalls, packs a bag of slang stuff, which is very heavy for her to carry, and goes- I do like that detail. The overalls or the bag? The bag being heavy. I thought that was like a good reminder that she's weak. Yes. And she skips off to Kralik's house. He's just doing like a huge photo shoot with Joyce. He takes so many Polaroids. He keeps calling her mother, and he's got this whole like Heath Ledger Joker-esque backstory about his mom doing something to him with the scissors. But he killed and ate his mom in the end, so it's chill. And he's like, by the way, got some mommy issues, if that wasn't clear. He he like says that too. Stacey's not just like paraphrasing the idea of what was saying. Right. He's like, oh, I got mom issues. His plan is to turn Buffy into a vampire and have her eat Joyce's face. I support that. (laughs) Buffy arrives at the house. She's got like a crossbow. We know that Buffy's supposed to do this alone because they said this is to test her self-reliance. But like Buffy doesn't know that. So why isn't she calling her friends? Yeah, I know. Call your friends. I guess maybe because. Call Angel. Right? I guess maybe because they have her mom kidnapped and this is like time sensitive. Maybe she doesn't have time to call everyone. Or maybe Angel doesn't have a phone. But like if this happened now, she'd for sure be texting everyone. Giles is crazy, yo. Right? Yeah. Quentin comes to the library to talk to Giles. Giles is pissed. He tells Quentin that he told Buffy everything. So like, fuck your test. And Quentin's like, oh, the test is on. Buffy's there right now. And it's kind of not cool that you told her, dude. I set this all up. Giles freaks out, grabs him by the jacket, and then he takes off to save Buffy. The lackey has found Buffy. She somehow manages to push a bookshelf on him. I guess it was not as strong as that fence. (laughs) And then just, like, kind of beats him? She doesn't stake him, so he's alive. I don't... Maybe she didn't have a stake? Seems like she could... she beats him? She, like, hits him with something after she knocks the shelf on him. Yeah, but it doesn't do any damage. I know, but why didn't she do damage? Why didn't she stake him? I don't think his heart was, like, was, like under a shelf. Oh. I, I don't know. It just seemed like maybe you should have made sure he was more incapacitated than he was. And then Kralik says some kind of, like, Little Red Riding Hood reference. Didn't he? Like, something about... Maybe. He said a lot of weird going shit. Going through the woods. Yeah. I don't exactly know your version of it, but it resonated to me as Little Red Riding Hood. Right. So Buffy then holds up a cross, but he's a weirdo vampire that likes getting cross burned. He's like, more, yes, right in the tummy. She is running around trying to figure out something she can do in this house. Feels very Mm Saw-like, like a creepy house of traps. He trips her going up the stairs. She manages to get away and then discovers a room with Polaroids of her mom just like all over the walls. Where Did he go shopping for film? Like where did he get a camera? There's like thousands of photos. I mean, he might have killed somebody and taken them from a store. It's just like a weird detail. Like why why did we need so many? 
He catches Buffy again. He's gonna bite her. And then he starts having one of his pill problems. She grabs the pills and like jumps down a vent or a laundry chute and ends up down in the basement where her mom is. He takes the long way down. He's angrily looking for his pills and he finds them. But Buffy has replaced his water with holy water. She didn't know he was taking his pills with water. That was just kind of lucky, but smart. This isn't good for him. It doesn't get him off the way the cross burning does. It, it kills him. He disintegrates. It is kind of dumb, though. I feel like that, like, he isn't burnt immediately. It's kind of like a cartoon thing where someone runs off the edge of a cliff and then they look down and realize there's nothing below him and then they fall. Like, he drinks it and then, like, 30 seconds later is like, oh, no. Yeah, he has, like, a monologue before it affects him. I mean, maybe it has to be in your stomach. No, no. it doesn't. It, it should burn be- the second his he puts lips. it to his lips. Yeah, yeah, that's dumb. Buffy lets us know that even her pun ability isn't as strong right now. So she's got nothing cool to say for this death. Buffy tries to free her mom, but she can't because the rope's too tight. She can't just rip ropes anymore. It's too bad it wasn't tied like the Invisible Girl tied ropes. <laughs> yeah, anybody could have gotten those off. But of course, that other vampire is still alive. He shows up, but Giles also shows up and kills him for her. Cut to Quentin saying, congratulations, you passed. The council is very pleased, but Buffy is not. She's still very pissed about the whole concept of this test. And Giles is all snotty, and Quentin's like, well, actually, this was a test for you two, and you didn't pass, so you're fired. You have a father's love for this child, so you don't have clear and impartial judgment. And he's like, well, I'm not going anywhere. My books, my cage. <laughs> like, yeah, I know you're not actually leaving, but if you interfere with the new watcher, you'll be dealt with. Good day to you, Buffy. And she's like, bite me. Buffy's, like, just overwhelmed with emotion, and Giles goes to help her with her blood problem. It's very sweet. I imagine they're still in a weird place. Like, he totally betrayed her trust, but then he did save her, and she just wants a dad so bad, and he's, like, being a dad. So I imagine hearing the guy say that about Giles is, like, giving her some feelings. Yeah. So it ends with Buffy hanging out at her house with her mom and friends. She's making PBJs. Willow has gotten an even bigger yellow, more stupid striped hat (laughs) to hide the rat on her head. And she just can't believe that Giles is unemployed, that he got fired. I need my Giles. Buffy reminds us that Giles is still the librarian, so nothing's going to change. We'll see. And Xander offers to open the peanut butter jar for weak, weak Buffy, but of course he cannot. Yeah, that was kind of funny. And uh, that's the episode. Brian, did you think it was a good one? I did. I think it was a really good one. I think this episode had a lot going for it. Number one, just I really love Giles and Buffy's relationship. And this episode did a good job of, one, tearing it apart a little bit. But in doing so, showing us that, like, they really care about each other. Yeah. And that it's not just, you know, duty for him. As much as this was, like, something they're going to have to heal over time because of the betrayal. Yeah. We do see that, like, he loves her. Like a daughter. But he wouldn't take her to the ice show. No, I mean, come on. Do you think he would have if he wasn't busy poisoning her? I think he would have, yeah. Oh. But also, the scenes at that, like, house that they turned into a trap, I feel like those were, like, really creepy. Sure. And, like, the atmosphere was good. And Buffy really oscillates as a show as of being, like, creepy horror movie and being, like, campy horror movie. A lot of times it's like, oh, she's fighting a vampire, and it's, like, kind of funny. But this episode was like, no, she's fighting a vampire, and it's, like, legitimately scary. Right. Like, so often, even when there's danger, it doesn't actually seem scary. But this one, like, had a mood about it that I really liked. I will say, it was pretty clear she wasn't going to die. I-, I could see, though, that she would have failed the test and lost her slayerness Because, like, Giles got fired. That's kind of a big thing that happened in the middle of the season. Yeah. I don't know how you can fail the test if you don't die, though. Yeah, that's true. I guess the vampire runs away. <laughs> 
It was also nice to get more about the Watchers Council, like what's going on. A little bit. I mean, yeah, we learned a little bit, but I still don't really understand. Like he said he was off watching or something. Quentin did. I was like, what were you watching? I mean, how many Watchers are in Sunnydale? Mm -hmm. I don't know that. Maybe four right now, but are they always in Sunnydale? Yeah, I don't know. There will be a new one though. Yeah. What did you think about the episode? I thought it was good. That moment when Giles, like, injects Buffy, it was, like, gasp moment. Like, wait, what? I know. I kept looking at you like, what is happening, Brian? Fix it. Giles is bad. And like I said, he did a good job of making it seem like he might be bad. Yeah. Oh, I love them. Yeah, I, uh, it was a good time. And it was a big turning point. Yeah. We'll see what happens, I guess. So, which one do you think was better? Buffy. Yeah, I think this is clearly Buffy. Yeah. It was a good Buffy, and it was a f- not memorable Gilmore Girls. I feel like this was like a memorable Buffy, too. Yes. It was unique enough that it stands out. The villain was a villain of the week, right? But he was a memorable villain of the week. Yeah. I feel like at the end of the seven seasons, you'll remember the fact that Giles got fired and drugged Buffy. Right. <laughs> Where at the end of seven seasons of Gilmore Girls, I don't know that you'll remember that Rory and Paris had to go to the principal's office one time. Yeah, and that there was a weird Korean wedding. Right. I will remember Kirk working at that hair place. I actually didn't remember that. I didn't know that we saw that hair place ever again. It's funny. Well, guys, if you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buff the Vampire Slayer Season 3, Episode 13, The Zeppo. Is that the new watcher? No. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 3, Episode 13, Dear Emily and Richard. Oh, I'm interested. I'm excited for that one. Yeah? I'm yeah. excited for the next one, too. It's a goofy one, but it's a fun one. Should we watch them tonight? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Do you think Rory was trying to change Jess? What's going on with Willow's hats? Do you think that Jess is a writer's roadblock for Luke and Lorelai's relationship? What's your version of Little Red Riding Hood? (laughs) How would you have stopped that vampire? Karak, Karula, Colic, whatever his name is. Cauliflower. Have you had cauliflower pizza? It's not bad. It's not bad. We didn't talk about that during the episode, but it's just something else we're doing. You can reach out to us by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post all kinds of interactive and behind-the-scenes content. Yeah, we post a lot of stuff on Facebook. We post questions, and sometimes some of the responses are really, really interesting. Sometimes they're real dumb, though. Um, I had one about, what do you think about the Cleveland version of Buffy? And this woman was like, Buffy was never from Cleveland. And I was like, oh, I'm talking about the Wish episode where she never came to Sunnydale, and she lived in Cleveland. And this woman was like, she was still from Sunnyvale. And I was like, lady, Sunnyvale isn't a place. And she isn't from Sunnydale because that was the whole point of the episode. She's from Cleveland. They say it in the episode. She's like, nope. And like, what do you mean, nope? So you can follow us there. Oh. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love hearing from you. And it really helps our podcast get discovered by even more Buffy and Gilmore fans. And if you leave a review, we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. For more comedy content not related to the podcast, follow us at Brian and Stacy. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an EY. That's right. We also make comedy sketches, play board games, and review movies in a similar style to our podcast. For all that and more, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If social media is not your thing, and trust us, we get it, you can send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. Well, Brian, I want to tell you the story of Goldilocks and the four squirrels. I was waiting for you to say something, and then I was going to make it into a Red Riding Hood joke. <laughs> Well, our cat has patiently, for the first time ever, been waiting for this podcast to end. So we're going to go feed him because he's a good boy this time. Yeah, he's a good boy. Hope to see you guys next week. Hope to see you. Yeah, we're watching you, by the way, like the Watchers did. Bye.